We could do better. Yeah. More enthusiasm. More enthusiasm? But not too cheesy. Not too cheesy? So like really radio, radio voice? Real radio voice, radio yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Our uh, uh, Super Dave Osborne. <laughs> Chickens are on the lamb again is out in the rain Seeking shelter by the tree where the gray water flows Welcome to Love Fire. We're sitting down with Ramsey Midwood, the now Austin-based psychedelic country blues singer-songwriter. His blue-stained guitar riffs and gospel-inspired lyrics have resonated all the way from Germany to our quaint little Eastside dive bars. I'm Mark Goldsmith. And I'm AJ Henderson. And this is Ramsey Midwood. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. When you were in L.A., you had a band called Waynesboro. Yeah. Correct? That is um, correct. While you were recording the debut, it went under your name right. versus the band's name. Yeah. What? That, because I actually thought that it would be better if we didn't. You know, I wanted to put it out under the band's name, but nobody else wanted to do that. <laughs> and so... I thought, well, you know, I had recorded a batch of songs and everybody in the band was a songwriter and and sang sang songs, you know, Randy Weeks and Kip Boardman and, and Mike Stinson and uh, Danny Magoo was in the band and, and everybody sort of, you know, and, and Don Heffington played drums a bunch. And we had this guy, Charlie McGovern, who was uh, helping us record. I remember thinking that it would be great to... Just, you know, I'd do my batch and then the other guys would do their batch. But I think that, that everybody had different ideas of who they wanted to play on their record and how they wanted their songs to sound. And I kind of liked the sound of our of that particular band. And I, I really wish we had done it. In retrospect, it would have been taking a little maybe pressure off of me. Do those other members have different albums yeah. that have songs from that era? Yeah. Google Randy Weeks. He's got a, a bunch of records from that time period. And Kip Boardman, Arthur Boardman, uh, has a couple of records from, from that period. And also, you know, new, newer stuff. And Mike Stinson made a, maybe one or two records during that. Are you a side player on any of those records? I think I play. I have a little bit of uh, guitar on, on one of Mike's records and a little bit of background vocals on one of Randy Weeks's records, but not really. You don't play with them anymore, I'm assuming. Are they still back no, in LA? No, I play with Randy. Randy ended up moving here, and we played together for a long time. And then Mike Stinson moved, not here, but Houston, and plays here all the time now. Um, and Kip, Kip didn't. He's still in Silver Lake, with his, I think. with his, uh, I think he got married and has a dog or two. Doing some research, I know you're from the East Coast. So is that where Waynesboro gets its names from, uh, Virginia? In an odd way, yeah. Yeah, Waynesboro, Virginia, but but just because I had a I had a a pal who hit a donkey with a car and killed it, and then this farmer came running out and he said, or he was like, well, what happened? And the guy said, I I killed this the some farmer's donkey, and he goes, that that's that belongs to that's first of all it's a borough and that's Waynesboro, that was some guy named Wayne. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> None of that's true. That is the best story for how a band name ever got established. <laughs> That's Waynesboro. But no, I had a friend actually who lived in Waynesboro and was worked as a funeral parlor director. And I would go visit him. He was also a songwriter and, and, I, and an artist. And I'd go, I'd visit him uh, when we were pals in, in college and, and remain, remain good friends, you know. And I had a song called Waynesboro that I think the first line is I was, I was born in a funeral parlor in Waynesboro, Virginia. And 
somehow that song kind of, I don't know, it all resonated for, for most of the guys in the band at that time. And so we just called the band that. So it doesn't have anything to do with a donkey. Now, from, from East Coast, how did you make that jump from East Coast to, to L.A.? I, I spent some time in Chicago, and then I, I moved to Los Angeles from Chicago. At some point, I had made some of those songs. I had, written, I had recorded about three or, or six songs, maybe. I had recorded six of the songs, and one of my favorite uh, artists passed away, uh, a guy named Jimmy Driftwood, who wrote you know, Battle of New Orleans and Tennessee Stud and just on and on. He was a, a guy that I listened to a lot as a kid. And when he passed away, I knew they were having a tribute concert for him in Arkansas, in Mountain View, Arkansas. And I thought, oh, well, that's, I, I'd imagine if they're going to have a tribute, I'll meet all of my people, you know, the people that were kind of into the same. So I drive, I tried to convince all the guys in the band, like, you know, we got to go, uh, got to go, you know, get in this car. And, and the, no, no one was really interested in going in the in the Boinesboro operation and so I just went by myself I, I bought a VW van from a stunt man who was turning it in you know there's a stunt man who was leaving Los Angeles he was like ah, I'm gonna sell my car and get the hell out of this place and so I got the car for like 400 bucks and uh, and I knew a guy in Chicago who who whatever said he could sell it for two grand and so I figured oh, I'd get the car and uh, drive, you know, beat it across country and then uh, sell it to him and make enough money to get back. <laughs> anyway, it didn't really work out exactly like that. But Did the car make it? The car almost made it. Ooh. The car made it to Arkansas and then, and, then it, and then it broke down in Farmington, Illinois and the brushes on the, just, the generator went out and I didn't even know what brushes in the generator were at the time. I was just... I don't know what they are now. Yeah, well, um, you you find out when you don't have them, because then you have to get brushes in there. Or do I get a brush for this generator? Can it be any brush? Um, There are little bristles, you know. It's a little bristle in there, and it creates this electricity, and it's like a VW magic. Um, And this guy was a VW magician, you know, and he knew everything about VWs. Anyway, so I I called. I was broken down and, and uh, just a couple of hours outside of Chicago, and I said, Jack, you got to come and get me. I'm broke down here, and, and the car that you so desperate, it was a 68, it was beautiful, and, I, and you know, you got to come and uh, get me. He says, oh, okay, cowboy, I'll be down there in a couple of hours, you know. And he, he came down and got me, and he was really, and we were both drinking a lot at the time, I, but he was drinking even more than I was, and and we... <laughs> And so, you know, he said, well, he got there and looked at the car and he was like, we can't do anything until the morning and uh, we got to go get a hotel. And so we went and we got this hotel in this town, you know, and then we and then we just proceeded to we got got the hotel room and didn't really pay attention to where the hotel room was or anything. We just got the room and we, we could we could only afford one with one bed. It was a big bed. And so I was like, all right, you're going to be over there and I'm going to be over here. And And then we proceeded to get really, really drunk. Woke up, I don't know, around 11 or 10.30 or something, you know, when drunk people wake up. And the room was one of these weird rooms that was, the window opened out into the lobby of the, or the restaurant of the of the hotel. And the windows, we had to left the windows open. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just, or, you know, not the windows, but the, the drapes, you know, because we just didn't know where, we just were like, you know, whatever. We woke up and there was a... <laughs> 
table of old ladies eating their lunch, you know, staring, staring at <laughs> me and Jack. That's and awesome. Thing. And then we kind of closed the, closed the thing and got dressed and got the brushes for the generator. And anyway, that was that. So did you actually meet anybody that was your type of people down there at that I, Kirby I, concert? No, I did Well, I met Cleta Driftwood, his wife, and she was super nice. She's passed away since then. But I mean, and I became an honorary member of the Rack and Sax Singer Society or whatever. And, and they, you know, they, they introduced me and let me sing a Jimmy Driftwood song. And there were all kinds of cool people down there. Um, and Mountain View was a really great town. I think they still have festivals there. And there's a store called Signal Hill Music that was there, and they were nice. I mean, I met a really yeah, a lot of great people there. But I thought, you know, people from all over the world were going to come over to to be there for this tribute concert. But uh, I think I had I was the one who traveled the farthest. They said from the the westernmost county of Arkansas, Los Angeles. I guess like they, they kind of view it like that, you know. Oh, that they claim Los Angeles as part of yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, I think they claim the yeah. whole. I think once Bill Clinton, you know. Great. So explain how you got from L.A. to Austin. Well, I had gotten that record deal. And that record deal was because of the songs that you'd recorded? Yeah. And with Wainsboro? Yeah. yeah. And a, the German shoot out, of, shoot out at the OK Chinese restaurant, which the German label put out first, and then Vanguard picked it up, and they, they put it out. So I had just signed that deal, and I had a manager, and I was getting that whole, you know, treatment. All right, here's what you ought to do, kid, and we're going to put you with this person and that person and do this. And we're going to put you on the road with, and, uh, and I didn't really know any different, you know, or better really, you know, I just thought, okay, well, you know, that's, I don't know that they, they were all sort of, you know, big shots. And so I thought that they kind of were smarter than I was. That turned out to be the case. Um, well, probably. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just stuck with their advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not with their advice, but I, I clearly wasn't. It's not like I was a genius at the time. Uh, just gotten married and and had a have a son um, who's now twelve. I, I didn't really didn't feel comfortable raising him in in Los Angeles, and uh, and then we had an apartment fire. Our apartment caught fire. Decided that maybe that was a sign to to leave Los Angeles. I don't know. I started looking around, and 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 Austin back then. Uh, Seemed, it was kind of quaint, a little smaller. And and when was then? 2002, and 2001, then. right around there. Just left with, I'd never been here before. And Pack up the station wagon, put your guitar in yeah, there. Yeah, it was a station wagon. It was a Wagoneer. The Wagoneer didn't get great gas mileage. Actually, no, I sold my Wagoneer in, in Los Angeles and then bought another Wagoneer here. So, same kind, so it almost like magically appeared, but I didn't have to drive it. Your current vehicle caught our attention. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> now, where did you pick that up? Did you steal it? Uh, no, I did not steal it, but it was a steal because we're, we're touring and we're playing, you know, you have to kind of have a means of transportation to get from one place to another place. We wanted to get a van, but, none. you know, we don't have any money. It's kind of hard to get a, a one of those vans. They're expensive. They're like, you know, the used one's $10,000. So I found a... Uh, well, I, me and the guy who's playing drums, Scott Mason, uh, he and I were talking about getting a van. We, I got to get a van. We got to get a van. We're looking, that van's for sale. That van's for sale. And we were kind of obsessed about it. We decided to go over to Enterprise Rental. And they're like, you know what? You might want to just check out the church no, van. No, no, no. We got there, and that church <laughs> van was in the parking lot. For sale? 
No, we went in there and they were kind of slick salesmen, you know, like, well, you know, you just sign right here. We get co-sign and we'll get you in a van. You know, these the used ones go from anywhere from 12 to 14, you know, but we're a billion dollar company and we'll stand behind every, and you know, none of us can get loans or anything like, like I, I can't get a loan and, and I wouldn't want anybody I know to co-sign for anything because, you know, it was very clear we weren't going to be able to, and I, I said, well, what about like that, there was that church van out in the, on the parking lot. Is that, uh, is someone trading that in? Because maybe we could just kind of come in and, and he was like, oh, we're not really allowed to talk about that. Well, I excused, you know, we excused ourselves and I went out and I uh, Googled the, the church. The, I won't say what church it is. I Googled the church and, and I called them on the, you know, I got their phone number and I said, hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in a rock and roll band and we'd want to buy a, a van do you have a van for sale and they go oh yeah our our guy's out there is trying to sell it right now i'll give you his phone number so they gave me the phone number and i called the phone number and and he must have been inside the the, the place and he goes yeah these guys are trying to lowball me so you can have it for two thousand dollars and so i i raised two thousand dollars and now we have that he also asked us to take the name of the church off of the van because he was afraid well because we got we were up in Norman, Oklahoma. There was a call from a jewelry store that was concerned about the van that was parked out in front of them. <laughs> and it was suspicious. And so the church had received a call, you know, wondering whether or not this was their van. And so the, he, the guy in turn called me and said, hey, uh, uh, you know, Ramsey, I was wondering if you could go ahead and take the name of the church off the van. Uh, it's real easy. Me and my wife did it in about a forty-five minutes. You just take a what is it? It's a little soap and water and a putty knife, and you get that thing right off. And I was like, "Oh, I wish I could, but we uh, we we knocked off that jewelry store, and we uh, we sold the van to these Mexican guys, <laughs> and uh, and they turned it into a cab. And so it's, they painted it red and green, so you don't have you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's <laughs> It's and and he says, yeah. Anyway, you just take a little butter knife and uh, some soap, and you'll get that right off. And I keep meaning to do that, except for it kind of gives us a cloak of invisibility. That... <laughs> right, like if you're speeding, no one's ever going to. That thing doesn't speed, but but if there's yes, if if somebody is up to mischief or something in the in the van, very no one will. Will be all right. Does that church van give you any street cred? Uh, no, it doesn't. It's the opposite, really. And so, I mean, we kind of, you know they kind of think that we're like a church group, and so we kind of it, it, we get the opposite of the street cred. I, I personally feel like it, it it helps me be a better person <laughs> because I'm less likely to scream at somebody, like you know, in traffic because I know I'm representing the Lord. Right. It's the Lord's van. Yeah, it's the Lord's van. We don't yell in the Lord's yeah, van. Yeah. The Lord does get angry though. <laughs> sometimes with people and sometimes they need to know that they shouldn't be driving like that or to use a turn signal or something like that. The Lord can yell. <laughs> Excellent. That's good to know. You've done uh, interviews for like people like CMT. Has anyone ever bothered to go into the origins of your van? No, no, that'd be the first. I know that Otis Gibbs was going to ask me a, a question on his. He was going to do a podcast when I go up to Nashville. Left fire exclusive. You got it first. All right, let's talk a little bit more about your songwriting. Putting faith in something bigger is kind of somewhat a subtext to a lot of your music. Well, I think that was, I mean, I think that in some sense, that's why that it became, it was appealing, you know, and it was funny to get the, that van and, and appropriate and seem to time out. And so you kind of look, you know, maybe there was some sort of 
I mean, I know that in my in a lot of the songs, you know, or a lot of the, the way the character gets rescued in a lot of those songs is through some sort of belief in something. And there's some other kind of divine situation, hopefully looking out for folks. And so when you sit down to write a song, that is that That's is an accurate? Easy, no, no, no. But it's an easy way out, you know. I mean, sometimes if you get yourself into a song and you, you know, uh, what is it, like the deus ex machina, you know, it's like the God will come in and take care of everything. No, I don't think, I think when I write a, I, I think when I write a song, I, I don't really know what, what that is, what happens in that. Somehow it just kind of like is there before you and it, it and if it's meant to be, it kind of stumbles out and you kind of carve away the things that, I don't know, it's mysterious, I don't really get it, frankly. I try to. Much like life. Much like life. Ramsey, <laughs> how do you feel about the Austin music scene? First uh, off. I like all, a lot of the people that are playing around here, and I like bars that are kind of coming into prominence and stuff like that. I've been, I've been here for like 12 years now and seen it change a lot, the whole city, and, and I really like what's happening. So what about like venues where you can play? You said they're coming into prominence now. What's different? Why weren't these bars prominent? Ten years ago, years um, ago. Well, I just think maybe the artists that were playing there weren't as ready to play. That you know what I mean. And so I think people have been kind of honing their their deal for about ten years. Folks that I know, you know, have been playing for about ten years, and now there are these kind of bars that are there, and so it's kind of a nice convergence, I guess. Any bars in particular that you saw grow as different people were moving in, and different kinds of bands, and you yourself? The uh, the White Horse, I guess, you know, is one that's been fun to, to watch develop. Personalities, you know, that kind of came into contact with one another that made that thing happen or are interesting to watch, you know. So where did you play before the White Horse? I used to play at a place called Samstown Point. That was pretty far south on uh, Slaughter and Manchac. And uh, uh, I still play there every once in a while. You know, it's a nice family-owned uh, double-wide type of bar that has you know a nice wood floor and sort of down home folks you know not not nothing nothing uh too hipstery or anything like that and that's where i was playing a lot and then a lot of my friends came and played there and you know uh, leo and leo rondu and mike and the moon pies and kevin russell and mike stinson and and a whole host of people kind of Kind of came through there, and I don't know if they met one another there, but I know Mike and Leo did, and then they went on to go play at the Hole in the Wall and kind of created a nice thing over there. And then from that, Dennis, who was working there, took it down to the White Horse, and that seemed to be a, the kind of moment, you know, where everyone's sort of preparedness matched up with a nice place to play, and there's that thing hip, hip going on. and hip hip folks, hipsters. Yeah, but, but you know, yeah, and just are just and, and folks that are new to Austin or uh, and peace, people that have been in Austin for a while, they're all sort of like you know, kind of milling around there, and um, and it's kind of lively, it's fun. What kind of parts did you used to play before you ever got to Austin? Same kind, you know, I'd always went towards underdog bars, you know, but mostly because that, that was the only one that I could really play at, you know, or that's okay. the one that that where you could just kind of walk in and say, you know, I'd like to play here, and they'd be like. Okay, and uh, so I mean, there was a place in California called the Cinema Bar we used to play at, and that was kind of like that underdog bar, you know, kind of career alcoholics in the afternoon and the evening. And then 
you're kind of able to do what you want to do there and it's in bars like that you know you don't you're not you're not getting a lot of pressure from from bar owners or whatever or if, and if it's good if, if it seems to be good you know people start showing up did you ever have to play behind a fence where people were just throwing bottles at you no but i could i could see having it so i wouldn't throw bottles out at times you know i think there are times when you get one gets get frustrated with certain crowds you know and uh, and and they'd be in more danger than we would have been in, you know so you're the one checking the bottles sometimes and so they, di they didn't start giving you cans yeah yeah well I, I stopped drinking at some point i and that's when i, I made started making better decisions about things like that you know what i think we should get to some music then right That'd you be are great. a musician yeah. you have some absolutely you brought your guitar i did i mean i'll say about i sing two songs and then i go home and go to bed Sounds like a great idea. idea. All right. Over there somewhere? Right, over there. Yeah. LaFire listeners, for your listening pleasure, this is Ramsey Midwood. Chickens on the lamb again is out in the rain, seeking shelter by the tree where the gray water flows. Sailed out to sea on the shores of Italy low and ended up down in the weeds. Riptide ruptured as paradise was punctured by the claws of a killer in Bijou. She was murdered at the Waldorf. The authorities are baffled. No fingerprints to be found. Bill it left a fifty dollar tip. Something is just not adding up. Says it just wants to make all the girls feel good. But locked them in the cage again in Detroit, Michigan. Looking for worms and bugs. But cleaned up the mess. Had to throw away your dress Cracking cone hold up in bijou From a swagger to a stumble The game is almost over The crook has bungled it up Says it just wants to make All the girls Feel good Locked them in the cage again in Detroit, Michigan, looking for worms and bugs. A cheap and sanitary said everyone knew Larry, bought all his lighters down in Lubbock. On a 35 cent bill and left a 50 dollar tip, something to just not add enough.
see the shows they're great my name's aj and this is mark goldsmith show produced by sarah herndon you've been listening to lay fire keep track on us on layfire.com we hope to see you soon new episodes coming asap i am ramsey midwood and you are listening to lay fire an old just an old-fashioned podcast just like grandpa used to do